0: When I was a child and a teenager, I attempted to learn three different musical instruments at various times in my life. One of them was the piano, which is the one I attempted more times than any of the others. I attempted unsuccessfully because I'm not a very coordinated person, and so trying to read music and coordinate two hands, I could never get it right. So that's the one I started and quit the most. I also uh, learned to play the trumpet, and that's the one that I played the longest and most successfully. It only has three valves, so that's very, very simple. <laughs> I can handle that. And if I had to, I could still kind of play it today. In the middle was the viola. The viola is like a violin, but it's a little bit—it's got a little bit deeper tones to it. And um, I started playing it because we had a string teacher come to my school and start a string program. And um, I was kind of interested in it. I really wanted to play the cello, but for whatever reason, I couldn't get my parents to agree to that. They did agree to the viola, not sure why. Um, And so I took viola lessons for um, about a year, I think. The trumpet, I never really formally quit playing, okay? I just kind of stopped playing it. After I graduated from high school, I wasn't in a band anymore, I wasn't in a church orchestra anymore, I went to college, and I played kind of in our, you know, our pep band when our team was playing, but really, I kind of lost the need to play it, and it wasn't something that I really loved playing, and so I just kind of stopped playing it, I didn't quit playing it, per se. The other two instruments, I quit playing, especially the viola. I quit playing the viola there was a conscious decision where I said, I am not playing this instrument anymore. And I handed it back to my mother and said, you can return this, because we were running it to the music store because I am no longer playing the viola. All of these things are good things. Learning to play a musical instrument is a good thing. But the truth of the matter is, for various reasons, people quit doing good things all the time. Throughout your life, you have quit doing good things. You've had habits and you've attempted projects and you've gotten involved in things that were good things that were beneficial to you but you quit doing them for whatever reason maybe it was a diet that you were take, you were you know following that was yielding good results but the deprivation that it was also causing upon you was too much for you and so you quit doing the diet because you didn't want to be deprived of your favorite foods anymore Maybe it's like me, a musical instrument that you took up for a while, and it was a good thing. It was teaching you music, and you were never going to be you know, um, a headlining star, but it, it, it helped you, uh, gave you a creative outlet and whatnot, but for whatever reason, you just quit playing it. Maybe it's a language. Maybe you were once kind of fluent in Spanish or some other language, but for, for some reason, you just stopped. You just quit doing it. People quit doing good things all the time. And Jesus knows this. Christ Himself is aware that part of our human nature is that we do good things, even things that bring results to our lives, even things that are beneficial and positive. And yet, because we are weak, because we are human, sometimes we quit doing things that are good. And in our passage this morning, that's the concern that Christ had. Christ knows that people are human and quit doing good things all the time. And so, Jesus knew that some people would quit praying. And so Luke tells us in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Jesus told many, told many parables throughout his life, throughout his ministry. He had all kinds of stories for all kinds of situations and for different audiences. Sometimes Jesus told parables to Pharisees. Sometimes he told them to the crowd in general. But Luke tells us in this instance that Jesus told the parable to his disciples. And then Luke tells us, tells us what the intent was. What was in Jesus' mind and heart when He gave this parable? Verse 1 says this, To show them that they should always pray and not give up. And the phrase that they should always pray has sometimes been misunderstood, this passage, but but there's another passage in the New Testament that's even more misunderstood when it comes to the topic of prayer than this. Sometimes people think that, that, that always praying means Always being in a state of prayer, like you always have to be kind of praying or thinking about praying. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's not saying that we always have to be thinking about prayer or praying or in a spirit of prayer. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching that prayer is a habit. And like habits, sometimes we faithfully perform a habit on a regular basis, but other times we faithfully perform a habit for a while and then we quit. Either we fall out of the habit for other reasons, we change a schedule or something, or we make a deliberate decision, as I did when I quit the viola, to stop doing something. Jesus knows that people will quit praying at times. He knows that this is part of the human condition, and he wanted to encourage his disciples and us. He wanted to, in the words of verse 1, to show us, to give us something visual, something that we can attach to emotionally and from the guts about why we shouldn't stop praying. Why of all the things we may quit during our lifetime, things that are good to quit and things that are bad to quit, of all of them, we should not quit praying. That's what Jesus wants to tell us in this passage. People quit doing good things all the time. But as you know, not everybody quits doing good things. Some people persist when others quit. In all of the endeavors I mentioned, Language study, daily Bible study, learning a musical instrument, following a diet, any course of exercise, any number of things. There are people who start stuff and quit, and there are people who start stuff and persist. They continue. They keep going. And it becomes a habit in their life. And Jesus wants to talk about the difference between those who quit doing good things, specifically prayer, and those who continue doing it. He wants to show us that not everyone is going to quit praying. Not everyone is going to quit doing things that are good. Some people, in fact, persist, even when others would quit along the way. That's the vision, the, um, the, the idea, the, the presentation that Christ makes within this parable. And so let's look at it together. What did Jesus say when he wanted to teach people to, to keep the habit of praying going and not give up, verse 2? He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Now, this is drawing partially on an image that would have been familiar to the Jewish audience that Jesus lived among and ministered to. In the Bible, there was, in the Bible times and in the Old Testament, there was no set, formal, established way of resolving legal disputes. There were certain ways that were done periodically Sometimes legal disputes were taken to religious authorities like synagogue rulers. Sometimes they were taken to the elders of the town, which were literally like the oldest men in the town, to make decisions. But sometimes judges were appointed. Someone actually like, held an office where it was their responsibility to make a decision in one way or another in any legal case. And This seems to be the situation that Jesus is thinking about here. He seems to be thinking about a small town where there's only one judge for the entire town. And this one judge, in a sense, has absolute autonomy and absolute power. He wasn't appointed by anyone, and he wasn't elected by anyone. How he got to be judge, I have no idea. And there was no court above him to appeal to. So this man has all the power in this little town. And the Bible tells us something about this man that's curious. It tells us that he's not um, normal in terms of what would be expected for someone in Jesus' culture and someone in Jesus' world. Jesus says about him at the end of verse 2, he neither fears God. That was extremely unusual. At least people claimed in Jesus' world to fear God. But this man didn't, Jesus said. But he also didn't fear people. He didn't care what they thought either. Here's a man who, in a sense, as much as humanly possible, lives on an island emotionally and ethically and in terms of his responsibilities. He is, in a sense, someone who can do whatever he wants. There's no formal way to impeach him, so he doesn't have a legal accountability, And he doesn't have the accountability of his conscience with his walk with God or of his wider perception by humanity. Here's a guy who, in a sense, as much as somebody could be, has complete autonomy to do what he wants. And so what happens to this man? Verse 3, and there was a widow in that town. Now, in Jesus's world, widows were not at the bottom of the culture, but they certainly weren't at the top either. Jesus lived in a society that was very male-oriented, very male-dominated. And so legal disputes like this would ordinarily be carried out by the men of the village and the men of the home. But, of course, this woman has lost her husband. She doesn't have anyone, apparently, to take up her cause. She doesn't have an uncle or a father or somebody left around, another man who could step in, on her behalf and make an appeal for her, she's completely on her own. And so as a widow, in many cases, she is someone who was suffering economically. It was very easy to oppress widows. In fact, the, the Old Testament commands God's people not to oppress widows and orphans because it was so easy to do. And so here's a woman who's in a very vulnerable position. And she comes to this man, and the verse 3 tells us that she kept coming to him. That's what the language conveys, that this was not a one-shot deal that she made this her pet project, that this was something she worked on. It was high on her priority list. It was on her calendar day after day, in a sense. She kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice for my adversary, verse 3. Now, we don't know exactly who was oppressing her or in what way. The most likely um, idea is that she had a neighbor who was taking her land, and not giving her economic compensation for it. Or maybe she entered into some kind of a contract with someone who said he would buy her land, and he wasn't paying. But one way or another, this woman's vulnerable status in her society is being taken advantage of. And she doesn't have a man in her house, in her life, who can help her out. And so the only recourse she has is to go to this judge and to appeal to his sense of justice and say, look, You know the Old Testament, you know the law, you know the traditions and customs. You can't just take a woman's land who's a widow. The Bible commands against this. And so that's what her statement is, her plea, according to verse 3, grant me justice from my adversary. Now, despite her persistence in this, her attempts were not, at first, successful. Verse four says, for some time he refused. And so this doesn't tell us how long, but you know that if you're in pain, either physically or in some other way, economic pain, that the longer it drags on, the more time seems to stand still and the more tortured you feel. And so here's a woman whose oppression lasted day after day. It was like a constant cloud over her. And despite her repeated attempts To get help in this situation, from the only help available to her. She got nothing. She made no headway with the judge. In fact, he didn't just listen and ignore her. It says in verse 4 that he refused. That is, he turned down, he declined to help her again and again and again. But verse 4 continues and says this But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, in other words, he didn't worry about standing before God in judgment. And being told, why didn't you follow the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures that say you're supposed to listen to and and give justice to widows and care for them? He wasn't worried about that. He was, in a sense, almost like an agnostic or an atheist, someone who didn't believe he had any accountability before God at all. He wasn't worried about standing before God. He consciously said to himself this, or care what people think. He wasn't worried if his neighbors didn't like him. But verse 4 goes on and says, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, that was his motivation, all right? Just make it stop. She made her pain as painful for him as possible. You ever done this? You ever had a problem with a product or service and call, customer, no service? And you talk to someone who couldn't care less. You know, they're there just punching the clock, trying to get paid for something, and they don't really care that the product that they shipped to you is terrible and came broken and with missing pieces. They don't care. And so they maybe jump through the hoops, but if they can find a way to deny your claim, they'll go ahead and do it. Have you ever tried calling them Every day? And talking, you might talk to a different person who might give you results, but she doesn't have that option. She's going to go to this guy every single day, day after day after day, until finally, like I said, her pain becomes his pain. And although he's not worried about any kind of external accountability, he is tired of being bugged. And so he says to himself, even though I don't care about the repercussions of my decision, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. In other words, he's going to give her what she deserves. She's not asking for something unreasonable. She's asking for what is reasonable, what she deserves. She is owed this legally. She doesn't want any special treatment. She wants fair treatment. She wants just treatment. And finally, this guy reasons his way there. He says, I'm going to finally give her what she wants, even though I don't really care about her or what people think about me. Why? The end of verse 5. So she won't eventually come back and attack me. And Translators have had a hard time with this phrase because it literally means she won't come and give me a black eye, okay? I don't think there was any chance of that literally happening. And so what seems to be happening here is this guy is just so fed up and so irritated, he's saying like, you know, kill me now, as people say, right? Just shoot me, just put me out of my misery. That's what he's trying to say. He's like, I don't want this to keep happening because this is so painful. I don't want it to continue. That's his reason, That's why he finally gives her what she deserves. And so Jesus tells us this story about prayer and tells us we should keep praying and not give up. And what's the point here? That maybe God can be badgered into doing what we ask? That maybe if we're irritating enough to God and keep coming back to him with the same words and the same request over and over again, that somehow we can beat him into submission Somehow we can bother him into doing what we want. Somehow, as you have done when you were a child and as your children have done to you with the the relentless nagging, you finally just say, all right, fine, eat the chips, I don't care, right? (laughs) Just to make the nagging go away. Is that what Jesus is telling us here about God? No, that's not what he's telling us here about God. His point is not how God parallels the judge. His point is about the persistence of the widow, People quit doing good things all the time. And part of the reason why we quit doing good things is we get discouraged by the lack of results. Have you ever been on a diet and gained weight? (laughs) (laughs) Then you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get discouraged by the lack of results that come our way. And so we quit doing things that are good, that we know to be good, because we get discouraged about the results. And so what gives someone the persistence? Why do some people keep doing things that are good, even though it's annoying and painful and inconvenient, even though it is something that is not yielding them the results, and that after being refused, at least in this instance, so many times, I'm sure she thought, this guy's never going to cave. What is the difference between those who persist doing things that are good and those who don't? Well, there may be many reasons, but one of the main ones is this. A strong need. When your need is strong enough, you will persist when others quit. Why did this woman keep bothering the guy? Because she had no other recourse. What choice did she have other than to keep being victimized by this person? So because... Those were her choices, badger this guy into submission, hopefully, or just keep being a victim of someone's oppression. She did the only thing that she could do. She made the only decision that could possibly lead to a better result. Her need was strong enough, so she persisted when others quit. And that's the point of the story that we are to take away. As Jesus applies this in a moment, we're going to see that what he's going to really tell us is We need to understand that we have, as the disciples of Jesus, a strong need for His help, for His assistance in our lives. And he said, if you really understood who God is and the power He has to work good in your life, if you really understood your desperate need and how, to paraphrase or actually quote what Jesus said in another context, without me, you can do nothing, if we really realized how much we are dependent on the power of God. It would change our praying. Specifically, we would be more persistent in prayer than we are. When your need is strong enough, you will persist when others quit. And if you've ever broken through the barriers... In any area of your life, the, area, the barriers that cause other people to quit, the discouragement that would easily sink your good habit, if you've ever broken through that and continued and gotten results, it's because your why was strong enough. Your need was compelling enough. And if your need is strong enough, you will persist when others quit. And so what happens to the persistence, the, the persistent? What happens to the person who persists? Well, the answer is, not always do they succeed. I mean, you and I have, have experienced this. Sometimes a person may persist at something for the entirety of their life, and it may not work out for them. It happens. But more often than not, something else happens, and that is this. Some who persist succeed. What happens to those who persist, some of them succeed succeed. But here's the downside, or here's the other side. Everyone who quits will fail. You see, if you quit asking, then you're guaranteed failure. If you quit practicing your instrument and playing it, then you will no longer be someone who plays the instrument. If you quit when others persist, you will fail 100% of the time. If you persist when others quit, you won't succeed 100% of the time, but you will have the chance of success. And others will succeed... A much, at a much higher percentage than the 100% of people who fail because they have quit. That's the lesson of verse 5. As Jesus says, Yet because she keeps bothering me, I will see, see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me. This woman finally succeeded because she didn't give up, because she was persistent. And again, this is a, a principle that's true throughout all of life in many ways. In many ways, we quit doing things that are good maybe just about the time we would start to reap those results that we want. Sometimes we quit looking for a better job right when a better job would have emerged if we had kept going. Sometimes we quit working on our health right when we are about to start noticing the benefits of that work on our health. And sometimes we quit praying at times when god may just be ready to answer us i talked at the beginning of this message about my attempts to play the viola and how i made a conscious decision to quit i don't regret quitting but there were people who started lessons on violins and other stringed instruments at the same time that i did who keep who kept playing They kept taking lessons. They kept practicing. One of them plays for the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. I don't think I had the ability ever to do that, nor did I ever have the desire. But the point is, she wouldn't have made it there if she had quit, when I quit. But because she was willing to persist when others like me quit, she found a level of success. A level of success that the rest of us who quit never found. And so the goal of this passage here is to teach us The importance of persistence. Jesus wanted us to keep praying because he knows how fallible we are as humans and how easy it is for us to quit doing things that are good just because we don't have the results yet that we want. And by telling us this story, he is contrasting God with this unjust judge. And we see that contrast drawn out beginning in verse 6 when Jesus points the story back to us, his disciples. And turns it from being an abstract story about two people to being a lesson for us on prayer. In verse 6, the scripture says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. The unjust judge says, I'll give justice even though I don't want to because I want to make this problem go away. And then Jesus draws the contrast in verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? You see, when God's disciples pray in Jesus' name, when we come to the Lord for help in prayer, we are not just like a random widow, unrelated to and uncared about by an unjust judge. Instead, the Bible says we are chosen ones. This speaks of the love of God for his people, his conscious loving choice. And Jesus has already taught us on prayer in the gospel according to Luke. And he's told us that when we come to God, we come to him as a loving father who, like all loving parents, loves to give good gifts to his children. And so the contrast here is, is uh, the, the comparison is to keep persisting when others quit, just as this woman persisted when others would have quit. But the contrast between the two types of officials, those who have the power to make the decisions, couldn't be stronger The unjust judge doesn't care about anybody. God cares dearly about his chosen ones. So Jesus is saying, I know that prayer feels futile at times. I know that talking to God seems like hammering on a door that's locked and deadbolted and it's got one of those bars behind it on the other side and there's nobody in there anyway. That's sometimes what our prayer life feels like, right? Jesus says, keep asking, keep knocking keep seeking, and sometimes we pray and pray and pray, and it seems like God isn't even listening at all. But Jesus is saying, look past your frustrations in prayer and see the vision of God who loves his chosen ones, who loves his children, and is growing you in the process of your persistence teaching you what it means to be a disciple through the frustrations that you have in your prayers and making you into someone who is stronger in your faith as you continue to pray and wait for God's help. But notice how Jesus phrases the desire for help in verse 7. He says, "'And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones "'who, keep crying, who will cry out to Him day and night?' will he keep putting them off? And the expected answer here is no. That yes, at times, God is, from our perspective, slow in responding to our prayers. But Jesus says God will not keep putting off his chosen ones forever. Instead, Jesus said in verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So Jesus here assures us that God hears our prayers and will answer them. Quickly may not be according to our timetables of what is quickly, but they are according to God's. And so the lesson to take away from this, the point that we learn about prayer and the information we need to take into our discipleship is is really about prayer, but it's about something much larger than prayer. It's It's something about discipleship as a whole. And it threads together some lessons that we've been learning in the previous chapters. You may remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, that we also talked about prayer then, where Jesus entered a town and he was met by ten lepers who cried out to him for help. And I talked in that message about how I used to believe that God didn't even listen to the prayers of unbelievers at all, but how I've had to reevaluate that, and I believe that God does listen to and sometimes even grants the prayers of unbelievers as well as the prayer of believers because God is compassionate and God loves his children even those who are only his children by creation and not by salvation but as we saw in the parable about the 10 lepers when the 10 lepers when nine of them got what they wanted they didn't care about Jesus anymore at all they stopped talking to God And I think that's the the lesson here is Jesus is not only teaching us about the importance of persistence in prayer, but he's also making a separation. He's making a distinction between the world at large, which does pray for things, which does come to God, which does do what is good in the sense of bringing petitions before God, but they don't do it persistently because they are not people who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus here is teaching us a larger point about what we call the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The Bible teaches that those who, that there are different types of disciples. There are some who make a false claim of discipleship. They may have believed that they were disciples of Jesus, but they turn away from Him at various points in their lives when things become difficult. And there are some disciples who continue to follow Jesus no matter what difficulties they face in life, unanswered prayer being one of them. What makes the difference between these two types of people? Well, the answer is the grace of God. The answer is the saving grace of God in our lives. That's what makes the difference between false disciples who don't persevere and genuine disciples who do persevere. But the evidence of God's grace is shown in our perseverance. That is, we don't give up following Jesus. We don't stop doing things that are good. We don't stop praying just because God doesn't answer us immediately. And so the point to take away from this passage, the big idea for this message is this, Followers of Jesus persist in prayer when others quit. All kinds of people around the world pray to God. They pray to the genuine God, the true God, even people who don't know Him. But those who don't know Him quit. They quit when they get what they want from God, or they quit when they don't get what they want from God. Because they don't have genuine faith in God. They don't have saving faith in God. They don't have the kind of faith that persists. And all of this, again, continues the context of what Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has just been talking about judgment. If you were were here and and heard last week's message, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, when is this kingdom of God you've been talking about going to come? And Jesus basically tells them, you're not going to see it, so don't worry about when it's going to come. But then he turns to his disciples and he talks about how there's going to be a day of judgment before the kingdom comes. And he talks about how there's going to be a separation. Remember, one will be taken and the other will be left even if they are a married couple, or even if they are people who are close friends, there's going to be a separation that comes. The genuine disciples of Christ will be separated from those who are, think that they're followers of God and really aren't. Jesus here is showing us one of the marks of the difference, and that is persistence in prayer. But he's also telling us how to make it through the hard times that some of his disciples will face. All of this is in the context of those days of judgment that will come. And Jesus is telling his disciples You are going to go through difficult times in life. All disciples face trials. We all face hard times in life. Living in this world, life in this world is difficult, it's painful, and it's unjust. And that's really the the center point of this passage. Sometimes people do things to us that are unfair. They are not right. They are unjust. They oppress us in multiple ways, sometimes because of our faith in Christ, sometimes because of the way that we live because of our faith in Christ. And the disciples of Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, will face this directly. Some of them will go through times of extreme persecution. And Jesus said in, in chapter 17 to the disciples, the, the day's coming when you will long for one of the days of the Lord. What does that mean? It means you'll be so oppressed that you'll be asking and crying out for Jesus to return. Because only Jesus returning is what's going to give us ultimately re, ultimate relief from the injustice and the problems of this life. And so this life in this world is difficult, painful, and unjust, and the solution to that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, when it comes, is the ultimate answer to every prayer that we have. And this is why Jesus taught us in his Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, what is the first petition out of our mouths? Your kingdom come. God's kingdom coming is the ultimate answer to every one of your prayers. Every pain that you cry out to God for, every bit of injustice, every bit of oppression, all of it will be solved when the kingdom of God comes. And prayer is the mechanism that God gave to us to cope with the problems of this life until the kingdom comes. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in verse seven when he says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Prayer is the mechanism God has given to us to seek grace and to cope with the difficulties that we face in this life. But here's the problem that we have in prayer. When we go to God in prayer, we want answers for now. We want problems to get solved now. In other words, we want this world to be made better. God wants to replace this world with a better one, a perfect one. And some of the frustrations that we have in prayer are, we want the kingdom benefits now before the kingdom has arrived. We want a perfect world without the perfect king reigning over it. And some of the reasons why we don't get the answers to prayer that we want are because we're praying for the wrong things. We're praying for relief from the problems of life when Jesus is telling us relief comes when the kingdom gets here. Until then, you can cry out to me, and I will answer your, your, your prayer when the kingdom arrives, but don't give up. Don't lose faith. Don't reject the idea that my promises are real. The answer is coming, and it's coming in the form of his kingdom. Jesus promised that God would answer our prayers, but he is going to answer them with the coming kingdom of God. That's what we see in verse 8 when he says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? If you've read this passage before, you were probably tracking right along with everything Jesus said until you got to that last sentence. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? And it's like, what? How does this have to do with prayer? Where did the coming of the Son of Man come from? How did it drop, for lack of, you know, no pun intended, drop out of the clear blue sky? The answer is Christ sees and He's trying to teach us that the answer to our prayers is the coming kingdom of God. That's the perfect world where there aren't physical pains and lethal problems and diseases, where there aren't sufferings and there aren't sins, the answer to our prayers is the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of His kingdom on earth. That's when God is going to get justice for His holy ones, for those that He loves, for those He has chosen and set apart. And so... The point of all of this then is that a true disciple of Jesus will keep praying in faith until Jesus comes to answer. That's the question Jesus is asking. God is going to give justice. Oh, it's coming, baby. And it's going to be painful for people who are outside of his kingdom, for those who are taken away in judgment, to use the language of chapter 17. They're going to get justice, and they're not going to like it. The question is not, will God answer prayers for justice? The question is, will we keep our faith? Will we keep faith in God? Will we keep believing in Him? Will we keep trusting Him? Will we persevere in trusting Jesus until He comes to set up His kingdom? That's the question. That's the challenge. And so ultimately, this is a passage about perseverance. It's, about passage, it's a passage that shows one of the differences between those who are genuine followers of Jesus and those who are not. Genuine followers of Jesus never ultimately lose faith in the promises of God that's why they keep praying. There may be times when our faith is weak. There may be times when we have periods of dryness and dullness and lacking in our prayers. We're we're people. We're, We're prone to weakness, and God knows this. But ultimately, for a true follower of Jesus Christ, because your faith is not your faith, it's a gift of God given to you in salvation You will persevere in following Jesus no matter what happens, no matter how much persecution comes, no matter how much frustration life visits upon you. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you won't turn your back on Him. You'll keep faith with Him until He comes and establishes His kingdom. The evidence of that is, in part, persistence in prayer. So the question that we need to face up to this this morning is not, why doesn't God answer my prayers? The question is, are we asking the right kinds of things of God in prayer? Are we asking for momentary, temporary relief, but we want this world as it exists to continue? Or as we ask God for relief in this world, and there's nothing wrong with that, are we doing so knowing that the ultimate answer to prayer is the coming kingdom of God? Then the perfection of life will be here, and all of the problems of life will go away. See, people stop praying when they lose faith, but genuine believers, true believers never lose faith, and so we will keep praying. This is the encouragement that Christ brought to us. Followers of Jesus persist in prayer when others quit. And so let me ask you about your prayer life. Are you someone who persists in praying for things even when It seems like God is an unjust judge who's not listening, or do you give up? Are you someone who's focused your prayer life on things out of this life and never saying your kingdom come, never realizing that Christ is the answer to all of your prayers? Are you the kind of person who has put your trust in Jesus Christ, but you've done it conditionally? You've said, I'll trust you, Jesus, but I'm expecting these things to happen and they're all good? Or are you someone who's taken Jesus as he is and say, you are the king, and you're my redeemer, and everything I have is because of you? You've saved me from my sins, and I'll follow you no matter what until the day your kingdom comes. If you've come here this morning and you're not a Christian, let me invite you to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God has done what only he could do to save you from your sins, and that is he has entered the human race in the, point, in the person of Jesus Christ, and he suffered and died more than you'll ever suffer in your life. And he did it not for himself, but for your sins as your substitute. God's offer to you is, will you receive the free gift of salvation through my son, Jesus Christ? If you're not a Christian this morning, that's where your walk with God begins. That's where you start on this path to being a follower of Jesus. Receive the free gift of salvation in Christ. If you are a Christian, does your prayer life need a boost? Do you need some encouragement because you're feeling discouraged about the lack of results in your prayer life? Take what Christ has said, take it to heart. Be reassured by his promise, but be sure to align your praying with his kingdom cause because that's what God cares about more than anything else. Followers of Jesus persist in prayer when others quit. Are you persisting as a follower of Christ and as a practitioner of prayer in your life?